I am cutting in here on your feed with episode five a whole week before a new episode would have normally even posted. And that's because I had an amazing opportunity arise, which was to speak with Steven Schwenkert, who is the co-creator of a new documentary called The Six. The Six, directed by Arthur Jones, who Schwenkert has collaborated with before, is a meticulously researched, fresh piece of the Titanic story, a new piece, which if you're a Titanic person, you know that isn't easily come by. The team on this film, they start with a list of the six male Chinese survivors' names on a piece of paper. That's all they have at the beginning, but it's an extraordinary place to start. Out of eight Chinese passengers who boarded, six of them did live. This was an anomaly in third class, an anomaly for males. This was an incredible moment to jump into as a researcher. I cannot even imagine. Just to put those numbers into context, by the way, 14 people from the parish of Adderghul in County Mayo, Ireland, traveled as a group on Titanic in third class. Three of them survived. A woman named Antony Yazbek was traveling with her husband and 18 other friends and relatives from Lebanon. 15 died that night, 15 out of 18, including her own husband and her four-year-old nephew. So from this extraordinary moment of survival, which required initiative from these Chinese men, there is no doubt about that. Jones, Schwenkertz, and an amazing team of researchers begin the arduous but enthralling process of piecing together what happened to those men, something no one has ever done. The film is this process, and it takes the team all over the world and turns into something that's more than Titanic. It becomes a story about immigration, about the Chinese-American experience. I cannot wait for you to see it. It truly moved me. And I'll have links in the show notes for its current festival schedule, and a lot of these screenings are virtual and accessible, and I encourage each and every one of you to seek it out as soon as you can. So I can't wait for you to hear the interview, and actually, the interview is the rest of the episode. I didn't want to edit this down. I didn't want to separate bits of it. I wanted you guys to hear this whole discussion. There are so many important things that we talk about. But I did first want to give you a little background on Stephen. Stephen Schwenkert is a writer and a journalist who has lived in and written about China for over 20 years. His work has focused on technology, media, culture, exploration, and has been published in countless prestigious publications. He's a diver and an underwater explorer himself, which we get to talk about a little bit. I wish we'd been able to talk more about it. And his passion for that led to his book, Poseidon, China's Secret Salvage of Britain's Lost Submarine, which also became his first documentary feature collaboration with Arthur Jones. And this is the Poseidon Project from 2013, which I also highly encourage that you check out. Schwenkert was so incredibly kind to give me this much of his time in the middle of what I'm sure is a very busy promotion tour for the film, traveling for it, talking to a lot of people about it. And it was a true honor to have him on the podcast. I know that you'll feel the same way. And I know that you will leave having heard this interview with lots of questions, lots of new questions, 
and that you'll be so excited to see the film. And there's a lot of stuff that we kind of intentionally keep back and don't mention so that when you see the film, some of the reveals, some of the surprising moments, the research encounter hits you exactly as they should. So we make sure of that. All right. I am L.A. Beatles, of course, and this is Unsinkable, the Titanic podcast. This is episode five, the six, Titanic's Chinese Survivors with Stephen Schwenkert. just jumping in one more time very quickly to let you know there are a couple of audio hiccups in the interview, but they are totally on my end. Steven's audio is crystal clear. There are a couple of echoey moments on my end, but please excuse those. All right. Enjoy. All right, Steven Schwenkert, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, This is a great pleasure. I have received a lot of emails and messages from listeners of the podcast who have been really excited about The Six and have been watching its development. And this is a real treat for me, but also for everybody who's going to get to hear this interview. I wanted to start by saying that I (laughs) I did some homework on you and I listened to a few podcasts that you and Arthur Jones, the director of The Six, have been on already. And I was a little nervous. I'm always a little nervous interviewing people that I admire, that have created things I admire. But what made me a little less nervous is I heard you say that one of your things is that you're up at three in the morning Googling shipwrecks. And I, so when when I heard that, I thought to myself, this is a kindred spirit, so I don't need to be nervous. That leads into my first question, which is, can you just talk a little bit about how you came to this topic? A uh, previous film and book you worked on also dealt with diving, with going under the ocean, and we'll talk about that hopefully too. But why Titanic? Why this moment? Can you just let us know a little bit about your journey to this movie? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. And uh Arthur sends his regrets. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a time zone thing at this point. So, but um, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm, you know, I grew up near the ocean in New Jersey and just, just always loved it. Always wanted to be in it, you know, always loved the water. And so uh, once I was able to spend more time in, in the water and then, then under it as a diver, I just wanted to see more and more. I mean, the, I remember as a kid, maybe as early as three on, on Sunday nights, there was Jacques Cousteau and there was Disney and Disney was nice and Disney was fun, but it was never as cool as Jacques Cousteau. And I, and, and, you know, I remember sitting in front of the television, uh, at least thinking, I don't know if I actually said it out loud, but certainly thinking, I want to do that. You know, I want to do what they're doing, putting on air tanks and going under the water and finding shipwrecks and looking at dolphins and stuff like that. So, and then when I was a teenager, I, I I got the China bug. I I was you know sort of moving away from from a uh, the idea of a career in marine biology and more towards towards journalism. I just thought journalism would would suit me better. Then I went to China as a tour group tourist, really just 
almost by pure chance, but I went with my mother and, uh, during that trip, I remember thinking, boy, if you, if you never, you know, if you came to China, you'd never run out of things to write about. And, yeah. uh, I mean, 40 years later, you know, I'm, I'm so far so, so good, you know, so far it looks like I'm still right, you know, except that the story has changed markedly. And then, you know, it was about halfway through that China journey, maybe a little earlier, I had the chance to become a, a, a scuba diving instructor, a paddy instructor. And then, um, I started doing that sort of on the side and, and, and for fun. And so then for the first time, sort of China and underwater, you know, my China life and my underwater life started to creep closer together. And they, you know, suddenly it was possible to go diving, if not necessarily off the coast, but at least, you know, in, in, and around China in various places. And we were seeing underwater, you know, Ming dynasty cities and, uh, you know, sections of the Great Wall and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, God, this is like, I never even imagined this. Mm -hmm. And um, around the same time, because of that, I started to look for, you know, where can, where else can we go diving in and around China? And in the, during that search, this was about 2006-ish, let's say, I stumbled across the story of a, of a, a, a British submarine, a Royal Navy submarine that sank off of Shandong province, just think of it as the, as the Cape Cod of China, you know, and I'm thinking, well, why isn't anybody diving this? Let's, let's get out there, you know, let's get a boat, let's go. And, and, you know, what I didn't know was that I was kicking off a six or seven year odyssey of discovery and exploration that ended up with me never getting in the water uh, on, on its behalf. But Arthur Jones and I were already friends at that point. Uh, we had worked together as journalists for Variety, uh, the, the okay. entertainment publication, uh, he in Shanghai and, and me in, in Beijing. And so we knew each other well, and we were we were in regular contact. And then we saw each other again and spent, spent a weekend together at a, at a friend's uh, birthday party. I, I thought, well, you know, I don't know anything about documentaries. You know, I like to watch them, but I, I don't know anything about filmmaking. I can barely take a photograph. But, you know, I know that Arthur is moving into that He's British. He would he would have the right, maybe perspective for this. I'm 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 this Yank kind of looking at this, you know, Royal Navy history story in China. I'm I'm I feel I felt I always felt like I was kind of the wrong guy to tell the story. And I thought, well, maybe you know Arthur would have some perspective on this, and and uh, maybe he'd be interested in doing a documentary on it. Maybe we could work together. So fast forward, you know, four, five, six years after that, you know, the film was done. And we were all very happy with oh, that's the Poseidon project. Is that yes? Film yeah. So it became it became a a book and and documentary project. That my book was just called Poseidon. It's got a ridiculously long um, subtitle. Uh, subtitle. But if you look up Poseidon in my last name, you'll find it. It'll save you a lot of typing. And then the 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 documentary was called the Poseidon Project. And then after that, we thought, well, that that was cool. That was fun. Let's do another one. And so we actually started work on a more local story, a, a Shanghai shipwreck story. We even went out and interviewed some survivors and did some archival work and so forth. And in the middle of that, we started to think, okay, well, this, this story takes place in 1948. It's against the backdrop of the Chinese Civil War. How are we going to tell this to an international uh, audience without you know, having to retell that entire story, which is also very political? And, and you know, we just... That's not really our, that, that's not our thing. You know, that's not what we did with Poseidon. We liked the way Poseidon came out and the way we handled it. And we thought, mm, let's try to stick to, you know, stick to our, uh, our strengths. So I said, well, no big deal. 
we'll just compare it to Titanic. Everybody knows Titanic. So we'll just compare it to that size, number of people lost, etc. So I went back to my Titanic shelf, you know, which which any decent amateur maritime <laughs> historian has, you know, yep, yep. Uh, you know, the night, a night to remember the night lives on and so forth and so on. So, sorry to, to Titanic listeners. If I left your book out, I, you know, <laughs> there's, um, there's too many, if you mentioned them all, we'd be here for five years. So <laughs> indeed, those, indeed. Are, those are some important ones. So that's a good place to start for people. Sure. So, so I, I really did start to reread some of the material. And then also I went online I was looking through Encyclopedia Titanica, um, you know, which is a much healthier corner of the uh, of the internet in most regards than than uh, some of the other places you can end up late at night. You know, I ran across this story again about about Chinese passengers being on board Titanic, and I'm sure that I saw it before. I am sure I had thought, "Gee, that's interesting," and then clicked away like everyone else. Mm-hmm. And this time, I thought. But what what happened to these guys? And and it was right around the time of the hundredth anniversary. And I thought, well, certainly, you know, with a big occasion like this, and with the you know the passage of time and so forth, somebody's going to put their hand up and say, my grandfather was you know a passenger on Titanic, and and with all the publicity and and everything, absolutely nothing, n- nothing. And I thought, well, that's sorry, I just don't believe that. I, I don't accept that. I don't accept that. That you know these men just sort of went on and and never married and never had any children and never told anybody the story. I'm sorry, I don't believe it. So the problem was was that Arthur and I were already several months down the track with our other project, and and suddenly I started to think, you know, as I'm plagued by these questions, like in the middle of the night, you know, what what like what happened to these guys? Where did they go? Why why don't we know their story? That's when I started to think, well, okay, now I've got to convince you know, my creative partner that, you know, we're going to switch directions to, to another project. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, you're, you're in the middle of, of mining silver and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you're washing your pan in the river one day and there's, there are these nuggets of gold and you say, oh no, we need to stop mining silver. You know, look at this gold. We've got to do more for this. You know? And, and that's really how we got going. I mean, it was, I think we spent the first three to six months kind of proving the concept to ourselves. Uh, me partially proving it to Arthur and then both of us sort of proving that there was enough material that, that it was going to warrant the treatment and warrant the resources that this kind of project was, was going to require. But, you know, pretty, pretty quickly we realized that there was something there and, you know, we've both been in China for 25 years. I mean, I'm, I'm outside of China at the moment, but, you know, we've, we've both sort of built careers and lives there and, uh, you know, to to suddenly be able to show to, you know, what was such an enormous audience for the the James Cameron film and people who know the story and they're building a, mm-hmm. a theme park with Titanic in, in Sichuan province and all that. I did not you know, know that. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 No, it, it's, it's, it's if you if you um, speaking of late night Googling, I mean, if you if you uh, go onto Google Images and, and type in, you know, China Titanic. You'll see what sometimes are mislabeled as uh, photos of Titanic 2, that mythical nonsense project that's not yes. really happening, no matter what Clive Palmer says. <laughs> I know, you know about that. Yes. You know, not happening, you know. But but the, um, the 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 amusement park, they stopped for a while during COVID. But I mean, it's like a it's a it's a you know, it's a one to one model 
of Titanic, completely landlocked. It'll never sail. But yeah, I mean, just, and when we saw that, that was sort of starting up as we were getting into this and we thought, geez, like, it's not just us. We're not the only people who think there's going to be an interest here. So, you know, so, so that's how we, that's, that's how we get started. And it never goes away. And I, you'll see the way I end the interview is always with the same question to people, but I really, the thing that struck me Number one is that I have, since I was 12 years, I was 12 years old when the movie came out, completely swept into the, you know, Titanic, Leo, the whole, you know, it was the perfect age, right? But then I also have always been a history person. So for me, it was always hand in hand, both, you know, the movie and the real history. But what struck me is that because you're a journalism, a journalist, I thought about it in terms of that. And I actually... I was a journalist in college, did a little bit of writing, not a lot. I thought about the first draft of history. And I think this sort of works well in with what you guys are trying to do. And this will hopefully open up some good questions as well. But with the U.S. Senate hearings, for example, with Titanic, that is in many ways this first draft. Who got to talk? Who got to be interviewed? The press at the time is that first draft of history, obviously, the types of articles that are being written, the narrative of the John Jacob Astor on the railing with his cigarette and that sort of thing. And so I thought about you guys' film as this amazing way to say, no, that that first draft of history, you don't ever publish a first draft. So why are we still publishing the first draft of Titanic history? And so that leads to this question of, obviously this film is, and I've seen it, it's amazing. And we'll talk at the end about how people can see it. But what was your main goal in sort of rewriting that first draft of history? I mean, obviously telling the the Chinese story, but when you were late at night Googling and thinking about this, what part of it of changing that narrative and opening up that narrative really got you excited? So, you know, when we started out... Arthur and I are historical optimists. And what I mean by that is that when we decide to go looking for something, we absolutely believe that we're going to find it when when we set out on that journey. Um, we're not so naive that we think we're going to find all of it, but we think we're going to find most of it, or we're going to find the important bits, or we're going to find new bits. So when when we approached this, I really thought of dealing with Titanic material as biblical archaeology. And what I mean by that is you really got to put your white cotton gloves on and get your tongs out and kind of take out, you know, it's almost like the game operation. If, you know, if, if, if the listeners are all old enough to remember that, you know, it takes a very steady hand and, you know, you got to reach in there with your tweezers and pull out, you know, because it's not, it's not just the testimony. Okay. You have people say, oh, well, I saw this. And then you can't just say, well, what did this person say? What did this person say? What did this person say? You really have to to look, well, where was this person? Were they in a lifeboat a mile away? You know, it's this circumstantial case that you end up building almost, you know, for every single statement. And you you talked about, you know, the first draft of history and 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 the, you know, sort of the newspaper accounts versus the testimony. And that was something, that was a decision that we made early on, which was we decided, okay, the testimony was essentially given by the main players, okay, the, 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 the chief officers 
Ismay, you know, other key survivors. I mean, you'd certainly make the argument that it was not necessarily a diverse group of people, but you know, I, I think to the committee's credit, they 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 got everybody with a name in there to come in and give their statement. And because it was done as a as a formal proceeding, as a legal proceeding, both in the United States and the United Kingdom, at the very minimum, there was some you know, force of law or force of, you know, if you want to call it force of society that, that sort of bound them to be honest. You know, I know that there's that, that among the Titanic intelligentsia, there is a, a lot of criticism uh, and a lot of rejection of, of the testimony. But the reality is the testimony is the testimony, whether we like it or not. And, you know, for the same reason, we, we gave newspaper accounts uh, and so-called eyewitness accounts, we gave them less weight because we found that over time, I mean, even some of the classic books, I'm trying to think of the second class gentleman. Uh, I can't think of it. Um, Beasley? Is it Beasley? Beasley. Thank you. Um, you know, even Beasley's account, when you read it, you can tell that he's mixing in his own experience with things yeah. he was told later for, for the sake of story. Mm-hmm. And it makes it more readable but as a historical document or as a factual document, it, it it's not nearly as reliable. So what we wanted was as much first person, you know, pure, unadulterated first person testimony as as we could get. I'm sure that, you know, at, at some point, you know, I'll start getting emails from the, the council, as I'll call them. Um, I'm not questioning anyone's scholarship. But, you know, I think we paid more attention to this corner of Titanic history than anyone else has. And, you know, for me, it it was, it was, I always want to know whether, and and this comes from my, my and Arthur's background as, as, as journalists, just, you know, well, where's the testimony? Where are the files? Where are, where's the documentation? You know, what does that say? Don't, I, you know, that's nice that somebody gave an interview 20 years after the fact for some anniversary. That's lovely. But what did they say at the time? You know, what did they say under oath? What did, you know, where are the reports? Where are, where's, you know, that kind of material that made it very difficult because we spent a lot of time as anyone who works on this kind of material, you know, this Titanic material would, it it really forced us to, to be very very specific about almost to the word of people's statements. Could this be true? Were they there? Did they see this? You know, are they remembering this correctly? And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, I don't want to say debate, but I'm happy to discuss, you know, our research, our methods, you know, how we came to the conclusions that we came to. Some of it is directly in the film. So if you see the film, you saw what, what it was we did. But I think, you know, there's there's such divided opinion on everything involving Titanic, in part because somebody has to be a contrarian or somebody, you know, has spent so much time working on something, then they just have to come up with something original. I understand all of that. I think the best example is the band, okay? The Titanic's band is a group of people to which no one has any ill will whatsoever, okay? Everybody wants to love the band, think great things of the band. They all perished, mm-hmm. you know, and so forth. And yet you have this divide over, you know, when did they stop playing? 
What did they play? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't August. It had to be near, near my God today. So if we can't even agree on the band, then I, I can't imagine that we'll ever come to no. a single conclusion on just about anything else that is not borne out by the science. And, and I think that's why it was so important for us. There are a couple of, uh, for I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen the, the documentary yet, but there were definitely a couple of moments where we put a couple of things to physical tests. Okay. We can, you know, as eyewitness testimony is one thing, physics is another. So, so listeners with, of the podcast, my second episode, and I don't know if you've heard this one was on Bruce Ismay. And oh so God. I think this ties into this debate about Ismay too. And like you say, we can't even agree about the band. We certainly are never going to agree about Bruce Ismay. And I think for this story that in the film, and again, we don't want to spoil anything. Everyone needs to see this movie for themselves, but the story of several of the Chinese survivors, part of it is that they're, you know, they are in this boat with Ismay. And so in the film and don't want to give anything away, but in the film, there is a sequence where you guys rebuild a lifeboat, reconstruct a lifeboat, which is incredible, number one. But you're trying to answer this question of could we figure out what happened that night, this boat that Ismay's in, uh, Lebanese immigrants are in. There's, there's, I think, a group of 14 Lebanese immigrants that are traveling together. Most of them died. And you guys have this amazing sequence where you're piecing this together and to speak to what you just mentioned, trying to figure out what could have actually happened. But it is, it's it's sometimes impossible, I think, this many years later to ever get at those questions. But you do, you guys do a fantastic job of getting at those questions and cracking open what is a historiography that is very, I mean, I'll go ahead and say it very there's some gatekeeping going on, I think, with, you know, with the material, with what is accepted as an okay sort of narrative to tell about Titanic. It is the, like I mentioned before, the Guggenheim story, the Astor story. Yeah. I think most people want to still fit Titanic into these neat little corners of, you know, the male heroism, the women and children first, that sort of thing. Tell me... I mean, this almost seems like impossible research, like uh, talking a little bit about methodology again, how you assembled a team, you're trying to find descendants of some of these Chinese survivors. Was there ever a moment where you just pounded your fist on the table and thought to yourself, well, we are scientists and we are only going by the facts and these trails are so cold. Did you have a moment where you wondered if it was possible at all? I mean, there was there was a moment where Arthur and I almost pounded on each other with fists. I mean, we just, <laughs> it was it was, yeah. it was strictly just because um, you know we made a very critical mistake early on, which was you know having the name Titanic. You know, I mean, okay, it's not in the name of our project, but it's pretty close. You know, when you're when your subject is Titanic and you don't realize that it's going to be a big project and it's going to require a lot of you know a lot of a lot of human power to 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 make happen you know, then, then, you know, you're, you're kind of naive. And I think, you know, there was some, there was some tension about the work that had, that had, and it was just because we were both trying to do too much and, you know, couldn't really admit that like, no, this wasn't like, you know, a submarine that we found off the Chinese coast, you know, cause we had just kind of done that ourselves and we thought, oh, we'll, we'll just do this one ourselves. We don't have any money to do it anyway. So, you know, okay, fine. And then it just got to the point where it was like, you know, we were the iceberg and, and, and Titanic came like just barreling along and smashed into us. And we were like, okay, all right, 
fine. You know, like rather than kill each other, I think we've got to realize that we just need, we need to approach this differently. You know, we just need to kind of take a different tack on this and, and, and so forth. So, I mean, the team, you know, something that we learned along the way is, you know, a journalist, if, if somebody says, okay, you know, Stephen, I want you to write a profile of LA Beatles and, you know, tell us about the podcast and, you know, give us, give us a nice thousand word, 15 word, 1500 word feature. So as a journalist or as probably I'm an ex-journalist at this point, but, you know, I go into my toolbox and, you know, I'm going to start Googling and I might, you know, look, try to look at your Facebook profile and there's things I'm going to do. Maybe I can find a phone number for, you know, a current colleague, an ex-colleague, you know, something like that. Someone's going to tell me something about you. But there's a different toolbox that say genealogists use. And we and 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 as we got deeper into it, we realized that was very specific knowledge that we needed, that we were not going to be able to solve or or make any progress on some of these stories without that knowledge. And even beyond that, we realized it wasn't just good enough to have that general toolbox, but we needed to have that knowledge in specific places where we were looking for records. Because even though it's you would think that privacy laws and public records and things like that between the United States, Canada, and the UK, for example, would all be similar. They're not really that similar. Um, actually, for, you know, for, for Americans, it's very easy to, to go and, you know, get public records about somebody's military service, birth certificate, death certificate, you know, et cetera. And, you know, it's really sort of at your fingertips, you know, now, uh, in, in Canada and the UK, it's it's not like that. You know, some some per, some personal records are are locked up for a hundred years. You know, we just weren't going to get those. So uh, even even with a, a participating family member in some cases. So those folks really, you know, you see some of them in the film, and a few of them, you know, mm-hmm. um, ultimately ended up behind the scenes. You know, they were the people that really brought the story to life. I mean, we don't, you know, when we when we talk about Titanic, the maritime archaeologist Jim Delgado, he was he was doing a presentation last night that I was watching, and he said, I mean, he said it so brilliantly, and I'm going to paraphrase it very poorly, but he said, you know, we don't we don't look at shipwrecks, we don't do archaeology because we're looking for because we're fascinated by you know pieces of steel at the bottom of you know some some body of water. You know, we we want to know what that tells us about those people and their life and the end of their lives in some cases, but you know, and what their experience was. And and that really was the whole point of the story from the beginning, much more so than Poseidon was. Poseidon was was started out as a history of kind of a piece of metal and it it ended up becoming so much more. This time we were like, you know, we were we were totally focused on the people. We just pulled at every thread that we could grab onto. Okay, we we got a name, doesn't tell us much, but all right, let's let's go with that. Up, oh, that thread broke. Okay, all right, but there's another thread, and let's grab onto that. And so you know, it, it's um, I've 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 described this before as for everyone who's been stuck in lockdown over the last year or so, and did a jigsaw puzzle to kill a day or an afternoon or a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, imagine you, you, you take a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle and you dump it out on your card table or whatever, and you start going at it. Our thousand piece jigsaw puzzle was scattered all over the planet. You know, the pieces were all over the planet. So we had to go out and kind of find the edges and then start to work to, which, which also means that there are big pieces out there that are still missing. We can, we can tell you what it's supposed to look like, 
but you know there are still specific you, pieces that are you similar. found a lot of them and i i personally and i bet a lot of listeners and i even being a titanic person and i'm a historian a phd in history of this period i studied you know 1880 to 1940 i did not know about these six men really eight men did not know about them and for someone who has read titanic scholarship for gosh, 20 years, even me already, to have never come across. It's a travesty. And so I think what you guys have done is there are seams on the Titanic story that need to be pulled open, that have never been pulled open. And I think that this film does a really good job of showing exactly where the seams are. And of course, right, you can't, there's no way you could have gotten all the pieces of the puzzle. I've heard you talk in other podcasts about the names, right? This is a thing at the beginning of the film that the names that are recorded for these survivors are in question themselves because they obviously were recorded by people that may not have known how to spell how, or may not have understood what these names actually were in Chinese. And so I looked at the names of the passengers in Collapsible Sea, which was the boat that four of these men were in. And I saw a woman with the last name of Asaf or Asif, and it's spelled with an A-F. So a little personal thing, my sister is my half sister and her dad was Lebanese and that's her last name. I, I had never seen the roster for that boat, but I had sort of a personal moment and I called her and I said, I mean, who knows, right? She doesn't know a ton about that side of her family, but it was this incredible moment, you know, where you... These stories are just these, they're these people. And then you guys, you know, find what maybe some of the families connected to them. But is there one moment, you know, you're traveling all over the world for this and, and listeners should know that you're the host in the film. You travel to places to do this research. Was there a moment of moments where it just really got you in the gut? I mean, I know probably a lot of it did, but was there one story that you could tell where you just thought to yourself, wow, to see all of this coming together and to meet these people is incredible. That's a, uh, that's a great question. I mean, as, as stupid as it seems, the, the, um, you know, there's a scene very early on where we talk about, if you look at the passenger list online, it says Ali lamb, A L I lamb, like, mm -hmm. like Muhammad Ali lamb. And, you know, yeah, if, if, you know, if you read on some of the boards, some of the encyclopedia Titanic boards, there is some talk about, you know, it's not Ali, it's, it's ah, A-H, it's A-H, not, not A-L-I. And, you know, so it, it was, it was out there. I don't, I don't know that we looked at it specifically at that time. For me, it was, first of all, it was just a, a nice little discovery to start off with. And it was funny because we had a, um, th this gentleman was, was referred to as Alam. So ah is a, is a, you know, it's like, it's like calling somebody big Tony or little Jimmy. It's just an appellation. There's, it's not really a surname. And we had the exact same experience with Poseidon. We, we, there was a, there was a Chinese boy. And even though boy could, was sort of a, 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 a catch-all phrase for assistant, it didn't necessarily mean a young, a younger man, you know, a younger male person. In this case, it did. The, the The person in Poseidon was there was a survivor named Ahoy, and uh, Ahoy, like we we're like, geez, how are we ever going to find? How are we ever going to find this person? You know, it's a nickname. You know, and it's a nickname of somebody who's not even on an official crew roster. And in the end, of course, we didn't really find anything. So, um, 
you know, so for us, it was sort of, it was, it was slightly deja vu-ish. You know, it just sort of gave us enough insight into, okay, so these are not names that came off of an immigration document. They didn't come off of a passport. They didn't come, you know, and, and I know that, you know, it's just a little, it's just a tiny little thing. But I think the other thing that it taught us was, you know, and, and a lesson that we brought brought forward from Poseidon was, you've got to get in with the original documents. Okay. I can't, especially for younger listeners who are getting into research and, and wanting to do history, you know, I mean, uh, LA, I'm sure you, 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 you know, I mean, it, with a history PhD, I'm, I'm sure you've, I'm sure your hands still smell like old paper, you know, I'm sure <laughs> you never get that, that smell off of you, you know, but it's just, you've got to get in there with the documents. You've got the documents themselves. I'm not talking about what's on the documents. I'm talking about the documents themselves. The paper itself tells you things. There are things written in margins that don't make it onto scans. There are mistakes. There are handwriting errors. There, there are signatures. There, are, you know, and 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 without going and and putting your hands on the documents because that is as close to that person as you are ever going to get. Okay, 100%. you you almost put you know don't don't put your hand on the signature because you're going to ruin the document. But you being that close, that is as close to that person as you will ever get. So you know what can that tell you? And it sounds like some kind of weird hair splitting obsessive detail, but it is not. I assure you it is that that was so important for us to be there and to, to look at the original documents and to say, aha, it's not Ali. It's ah, and this is a nickname. And and that reframed that whole list of names for us, that, that list of names that plagued us for about two years and change. Even imagine, and you have, and people when they watch the movie will see this. But you've assembled a really amazing team of a lot of young people, young people, really young people with you. Do you did you find that they were excited about? Do you think it was Titanic, or do you think it was just this part of Titanic? Was it both? I mean, is that in China? Is Titanic something that people are? You know, obviously with the building of the amusement park, I guess the answer is yes. But was when you were assembling this team, I guess it was probably easy to find good people because people want to research this, right? It's exciting. If if, if anything, it was the opposite. Uh, I think I think we benefited from the fact that we worked with not only researchers who were not sort of Titanic specific people. I think okay. that might have made them say, "Oh." you know, when they first got the brief, like, oh, it's a Titanic thing. But I mean, really, they were they were in it for the people and the discovery. You know, I mean, if we had said, you know, these were, you know, these have been gold miners, these have been, um, you know, railroad workers or whatever, I don't think they would have been any less interested, nor do I think they would have worked any, you know, any less hard. I think they, it, it was, it was just kind of, a, oh, uh, that's, that's different, you know, and and you know even like one of our one of our main uh, camera guys you know when we Tom you know when 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 we started off I don't think he had seen he had ever seen the Cameron film, and he he yeah. only had like a passing knowledge of of Titanic and so I remember one day like we talked about this and I was like, you know I I wonder if you need to see the movie or you know how much should I tell you and it, I mean obviously his function's a little different but just to kind of not want to make things look like the Cameron film or make it look like some previous image of Titanic that people have. I mean, I think it was good that, that most of them approached it with a clean slate and were just sort of, you know, they had their knowledge about some aspect of the Chinese 
experience overseas, and that's what they were good at, and that's what they were bringing to this. The reality is, is that we could have picked any eight guys. You know, we could have easily done a project where we picked eight men that started out in the same village, or even you know, eight brothers or eight cousins or whatever. And and like you know, like rubber duckies in some kind of you know ocean currents study, just kind of you know, we let them all go from the same beach, and one of them ends up in Madagascar, and one of them ends up in Morocco, and one of them ends up in Spain, you know, whatever. But I think you know the fact that. I mean, that's really what kept us going was that when we realized that this was a story that let us cut across, you know, really kind of cut a nice big sort of cake slice across, you know, the the, the Chinese experience, the overseas Chinese experience or the Chinese experience overseas in the first half of the 20th century, we thought, okay, now we're really, these were their lives. This is what they did, you know. It's and, so intriguing. And, yeah. and again, I don't want to spoil anything because that. But I I think that this is a I mean this is a movie about Titanic but it's also a movie about immigration it's a movie about class race I mean I again studied this period for years but I learned things from your documentary I never knew and I I think that it will introduce a lot of people to the Chinese Exclusion Act for example which I don't think a lot of people understand was not repealed until was it 42 uh, 43 42. yeah. Yeah. 43. Yeah. And so I, I think it's with any history, with any narrative, you know, as a historian, if I sit down and I'm, as I'm going to write an article or I'm going to work on a book project, you can't, you can't ever really know where it's going to take you ultimately. And I think that's kind of what you're saying too. And I, I think you guys did a beautiful job of just taking the audience along on the journey of here are the names we start with and here's where we're going. And it's, so it's, it's kind of a mystery. It's sort of a detective story, right? It's, yeah. you know, and I, I mean, people love Titanic, but I think people also more than that love human stories and these mysteries, you know, as they unravel. I just, I do have to get in one James Cameron question. I am curious I, and I heard you guys talk about this on another podcast, so I won't bug you about it much, but what what was it like to get to meet him a little bit and interact? It's right, he's executive producer on the movie. I know that you're a diver too, and I'm like you. Like I, I'm a fan of his not just because of his films, but because of the role he's played with diving Titanic and his role as an explorer of sorts. So what was it like to get to meet him? I'm just curious. So it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I, I saw Titanic, I've seen Terminator, I've seen, I was very familiar with, uh, you know, Cameron's work. And about 10 years ago, I was in Beijing and I was asked by a friend if I could help organize a press conference. I said, you know, and, and the person said to me, you know, it, it's a big name. So, you know, this is kind of important. And I said, come on, man, like, you know me, who is it? He said, okay, it's James Cameron. And I said, I, 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 he didn't, he, you know, we, we didn't do video chat back then. So like, he didn't see my head snap back, you know? And so <laughs> I told him, I said, all right, I'll do it. And I, I, I really gave him a low price to do it. And I said, but I, it comes with one condition. And he said, okay, what's the condition? I said, well, I get to meet him. I want to meet him and I want to shake his hand because I'm the, the East and South Asia chapter chair for the Explorers Club. He's an Explorers Club member 
and I want to, you know, greet him on behalf of, of, you know, the club as a fellow member. Oh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to run a press conference for him and never meet the guy, you know, no, no way. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm always happy to go see a James Cameron movie, but for me, he's an underwater explorer and he's one of the top living underwater explorers and Cameron and Cousteau both start with C. So, you know, it's, they're, 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 they're getting into the same ballpark, you know? So it turns out I met him, but also the thing that was important was I met Maria Wilhelm, who is, um, you know, let's say his right-hand woman and, uh, has worked with him and, and, and run his businesses and, and co-produced with him and so forth. And she's also an executive producer on, on the six. And that was really, you know, just kind of, banking that email address turned out to be really valuable because, you know, when we started to get into this, one of the things we found early on was that there was a deleted scene, you know, I mean, for, you know, this is, this is unsinkable, you know, the Titanic podcast, everybody. Oh, I know, it's, I, and I, I know those deleted scenes, which exactly. again was, all came full circle for me because I had seen this deleted scene years ago when That's they put right. out the special edition. That's right. Uh, and I kind of want, I kind of want, everyone to discover that part of the movie themselves a little bit, but yeah. yeah. I mean, every, you know, just about every listener of this podcast has the, the two DVD collector set on there. So go, go get it, you know, pull it down time to look at the bonus material. And so, you know, that, that was a scene that we found early on that, that he, he, you know, that this, this footage of a, a Chinese man being rescued from a piece of debris by Harold Lowe. So that told us immediately, well, Cameron knew about this, you know, not only did he know about it, he knew enough about it to shoot a scene of it. And then, gee, doesn't that scene kind of look like the Jack and Rose ending? Did yes, it's amazing. Yeah, it's the door that he's, or a similar shape yeah. type of wood. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, you know, so we, then it became, you know, what did Cameron know and when did he know it? And, and you know, we wanted to ask him that. I mean, it was never... We never thought like, oh, gee, it'd be great if we get Cameron in the film and, you know, Cameron and Titanic. We never thought that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't waste the man's time, you know, if, if that were it. it. It had nothing to do with that. It was strictly we wanted to know what he knew. And we knew that he – I mean, James Cameron is an expert on Titanic. You know, we, we wanted to talk to him about it and specifically about this. So, so it took about two and a half years – you know, back and forth. And, and I, you know, I saw Maria at the Explorers Club and, you know, she got the elevator pitch and there were some emails back and forth. And I worked sort of my contacts through, through, through the exploration community. Arthur worked his contract, his contacts through the film community. And then finally we kind of, you know, we kind of got in front of them right as we were sort of wrapping up with everything else. And, and we had made, you know, an offer that we hoped he would not refuse, which was, We'll take any 15 minutes you have anywhere in the world because we figured everybody's got to like shove a sandwich in their mouth at some point. So even, you know, even if we got James Cameron with a full mouth, yeah, Chinese guys, you know, we would, we would have taken that. That would have been enough, you know, and that moment, you know, that he, he happened to have 15 minutes for us in July of 2019 in Wellington, New Zealand. So we flew wow. down to New Zealand and he was, he was great. Not only were his answers really illuminating and, you know, confirmed a lot of what we thought and, and told us a few things that we didn't know. Afterwards, he was so helpful and, gee, your project sounds so interesting. How can I help? And, you know, would you want me to get involved in some way? And, you know, that's how he ended up, he and Maria ended up as, as executive producers. And so, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a very busy man, 
but um, you know, he's got time for things that are important to him and, and, Absolutely, and Titanic yeah. is still important to him. So it seems to me, I mean, I've watched all of the documentaries he's done over the years. Mm-hmm. He keeps going back to, you know, there's a one from just a few years ago, right. Where he brings together a round table, yep. some of the experts again, to go over the wreckage again. And I've nerded out on every single documentary he's ever, you know, been a part of his involvement makes perfect sense because of the, of what you've said. And also he gave you guys permission to use some clips from the movie, right? Which is incredible. He yeah. that never happens, right? That's very rare. I mean, it was. I mean, it was certainly something we would not have been able to do without him. I mean, the, you know, I I don't even know what the cost to use. I wouldn't even know if the rights are available. Never mind what the cost would be. So yeah, absolutely. You know, it was yeah. it was just he was he was wonderful to us, and you know. I, I, you know, he did a nice intro for us for the Chinese audience. So when when the film went out oh, wow. in China, you know, we had a we had a month long uh, cinema release, and he did a special intro to it. He was he was just great. I do want to. I'm terrible at segues, by the way, so I apologize. I you should see. I have. I I mean I have too many questions. Nice. I my my husband earlier historian. Today, <laughs> too much paper. <laughs> too much. Too much. I know. I have like little these all over. My husband earlier today was like, you need to calm down. You don't have time for all those questions. But I do, I do want to, and I'm sure everyone's asked you about this. There is a scene in the movie where you are, you do sort of go in full on this Titanic experience and you get in the water, you're in a lab where you're recreating a a water temperature that is similar, but it's not as cold, Mm. right? It's similar to the temperature of the night. And I, this really struck me because this summer we went to one of the Titanic museums. We happened to be in Tennessee and I have a, I have a five-year-old daughter. She was four at the time. And you go through this interactive room where they have an actual iceberg. It's very strange. There's a, there's a water tank and they have the water at the temperature Mm. from the night. Mm. And you just are supposed to stick your hand in and get to see. And my four-year-old daughter, she kept going back and back. And she wanted to touch it like five times. And I was starting to think like, okay, let's, I don't know what you're getting at, but let's, you know, move on. But she looked up at me and she said, I kid you not. She said, oh, I get it now. So she had, she, even at four, she made the connection that that's why we're here. That's why this museum exists. These people died in the water because it was this cold. So what, I mean, again, I'm sure everyone's asked you that. So I'm sorry to repeat a question, but what was, and I know you dive, so you're used to the cold, but what was that? Did you have some sort of new revelation in your mind when that was going on? How was that experience? I mean, for the two, um, let's call them the two sort of live science moments in the film, one of which is me in the in the water tank and the other is is the, the, the reconstruction of the lifeboat. You know, we just felt like we're never, we, we can sit around a conference table and talk about this but that's never going to prove anything. It's never going to tell us anything. But if I actually, I mean, to be honest, I wish the water had been colder. I really wish the water had been colder. Not, not, that's, that's not a macho statement. It's just, you know, I really would like to have known what that's like. I've not, I don't think I've been in, I've, I've been ice diving before, but I was, you know, I was like the Pillsbury Doughboy with all the, the dry suit and the insulation and so forth. So, you know, to, to say I've had that experience before it w- would not be true. In this case, you know, we just wanted to know what what would it have been like? What would the man listed on the passenger list as Fang Long have had to do in order to save his own life? 
what you know in pitch darkness in you know freezing water near freezing water would he you know would he have had enough flotation would he have been able to swim you know how long would he have ha- how long would he have been functional to get himself onto a piece of debris to kind of reduce the loss of heat that he could live long enough for Harold Lowe to come back and you know in this case it was just you know, we, we, we couldn't go there, you know, we couldn't go out there. So what was the next best thing? The next best thing was putting me in cold water for 35 or 40 minutes. And, and, uh, you know, one of the, one of the horrendous bits of that is, uh, one of the technicians there told me is that actually a lot of the cold water, the original cold water experiments, life and death and so forth were actually conducted in, in the concentration camps in, in, uh, during world war II. And there was a, there was a, um, you know, a a deep soul searching kind of discussion about this within the community, you know, you know, people who people like those folks in Portsmouth who do this for a living so that, you know, if Coast Guard people or sailors or whomever end up in the water and they need to, you know, survive for an hour or a day or whatever, what kind of insulation do they need? What can they do? What what action can they take to, you know, retain heat and so forth? And they said that in in that community, they they had a, a you know a really deep, difficult discussion about that. Should they should they or shouldn't they use that research? And in the end, they decided, yes, we're going to use it so that those people didn't die in vain. If we if we are able to save other lives as a result of these horrendous experiments, then we'll do that. And and you know hopefully somebody else gets to live where somebody else you know died. So. But, but it's really just about, you know, I mean, if, if I could have flown out to the North Atlantic and jumped in the water for 35 minutes, I would have done that, but it just wasn't, just wasn't feasible, you know? And the same thing was true with the lifeboat. You know, we just, nobody was, if we built, if we built a small model and stuck in Ken and Barbies, I I can, I could, I mean, I'm not kidding. In the back of my head, I heard all those Titanic forum voices and what they were going to say about that. And, and, oh no. And I thought, no way, man, we are building a one-to-one lifeboat collapsible from the original Engelhart p- plans. And then we're going to put real people in it. And once and for all, we're going to know what was possible and what wasn't possible, but you can't mess with physics. You cannot mess with physics. So I'll, you know, next time you have a historic, historical mystery, apply physics. <laughs> so. It's true. No, it's, it's true. And it was in, in a lot of moving moments in this film. To me, the most was when you, you know, you guys were kind of setting people in that lifeboat and arranging it. And then you got in and you said, okay, I'll be Bruce Ismay. And you're, you know, you get in at the end. I was, I mean, this just, this just shows how how emotional I am about this stuff sometimes, but I had like a tear in my eye because I had, and I had just researched so much about Ismay and the back and forth on his, you know, I mean, his character obviously up for debate, which is horrible to say, but you know what I mean? And, and I'd gone so deep in on him and collapsible sea and everything. So, well, I, you know, I know that thank you for so much time. I would just love to uh, wrap everything up with a question that I really want to ask everyone that I talk to. And it doesn't have to be a long answer, could just be two words, whatever. But I started this podcast because it always seemed to a through line in my whole life from being a kid and loving it to becoming a historian and researching lots of different things and then cycling back to it. 
that Titanic is something that just never goes away. It's something that a metaphor we never stop using, emotions that we never stop connecting to that, stories that, you know, in the movie, the movie was a huge part of that becoming part of our daily sort of like lingo mm-hmm. and that amplified it. But just why Titanic do you think? Like, and you're someone who has studied other wrecks. So I think you might be the best person to answer this question. But why do you think people just always come back to it? Why do you think it never goes away? Why this wreck? Why this thing? I, I would say it, it's two things. Number one, Titanic is the alpha, as I say in the film, Titanic is the alpha and the omega of of shipwrecks. It is the beginning and the end because everybody is going to compare any other shipwreck, rightly or wrongly, to Titanic. Great, you know, bigger ship, greater loss of life, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it, you know, was or wasn't as glamorous and 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 all of that. And I think that the reason that that is true is because, and, 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 you know, other people have said this before, but everyone can find themselves on the deck of Titanic as it's going down, you know, and, and what would the, the, you know, we, we, we all want to believe that we would have been Aster and, you know, glibly, you know, lit a cigarette and uh, au revoir, Madeline, you know, see you, uh, see you, cognac in the glass, you know, I'll be there, you know, I, I probably, John Jacob Astor didn't have an English accent, but you know, just, just that he, you know, we, we think that we would have jumped the rail and swum for boat or that we would have stepped back or that we wouldn't have left our husband or that we wouldn't, you know, whatever, whatever it is, whatever gallant act we think we would perform under that kind of pressure. I think it's one of the reasons that I like Bruce Ismay as a character so much. And I think it's why, I mean, I, I went with the facts in the end. I went with the facts. Some people will interpret the facts differently and and have a different take on Ismay, but I liked Ismay or at least I respected him because he probably did what all of us would do, which is do our best. And then, Hey, there's a seat and I'll take it. And I think that was, you know, he's, I, I, I'm sure I'll have to ask Cliff Ismay this, but, but uh, I'm sure that, that, you know, all those dark nights when he, you know, stared into, stared at the ceiling himself. I wonder how many of those nights he wished he had gone down with the ship just so that he didn't have to face the social death that he endured. But that doesn't mean he was wrong. It doesn't mean he was wrong. And And it's, and that, I mean, I think we're on the same page. It's actually how I ended that episode I did about him was just this statement of, you know, in the end, he's a man who had, he had a tough life in many ways too. I mean, obviously a very privileged life in many ways, but a man who'd been through a lot and was just a human being doing the best that he could in a moment, in a single moment. And are we judged by one moment in our lives? And I think, but I think you're right. I think Titanic creates that this forever question of put yourself on the deck. What would you do? I've even heard, you know, James Cameron in some of these documentaries he's done, he asks his researchers that, you know, what if you, I love, there's a scene where he asks, you know, Don Lynch and this whole table full of, of his historians, okay, the ship hit the iceberg. You can't change that, but you know, you have, you could do everything else differently to say, you know, and it's, it's, yeah, it's just eternal, all these timeless, eternal questions. So I would love to let the listeners know 
absolutely where they can watch. I do know that uh, the Philadelphia Asian American Film Festival right. right is coming up. That's yep. November November fourth, uh, November fourth to the fourteenth. Through the 14th. Okay. Uh, they, people will be able to to, uh, to get access through the through the festival website, which I'll send to you, and and you can post in, in the show notes uh, if you'd be so kind. And, oh, absolutely! Uh, yes. Uh, we're doing a live Q and A on the 13th. That's sort of uh, the night of. I, I believe that's a Saturday night, so we're doing a live Q and A for that. And then I want to say there's another something after that. Um, that's the one that I can guarantee at the moment. Um, you know, we're still, you know, we're starting, we, we, we're starting to win awards at, at film festivals, you know, we, and, and specifically audience awards, which really mean a ton to us because I mean, yes, we want, you know, critics to kind of look at the film and, 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 you know, say we did a good job that way, but we really want people to see the film and, and, and for it to move them. And, and I really hope that that's going to get the notice of, you know, folks that may want to show it to a much larger audience, either in a cinema or, you know, on your local PBS station, hint, hint, or, um, yes, you know, it'd be fantastic. It, yeah. you, know, the, you know, if I had my choice, then I certainly would, I would rather have all these, you know, Asian, anti-Asian violence uh, incidents that we're seeing. I, I would rather have not a single one of them take place, but I think the film does illustrate that these are not new problems. You know, we've had anti-Asian violence in the United mm -hmm. States specifically for more than a hundred years. You know, this, this film goes, you know, some of the way towards explaining why and the roots of that and, and, you know, hopefully possible solutions. So, uh, you know, I think it's a good story for the time. I think people enjoy it. Hopefully they'll, they'll learn something along the way. And, um, you know, the more people that, that can see it, the better. Absolutely. And and I should mention that I, I looked at that link and which I of course will put in the show notes, like you mentioned, and they, for that Philadelphia festival, there are in, you can do just an individual ticket. To yes, the six, that's right. right. I look, yeah. So people might need want to know that. Um, it's very affordable. You can just do an individual ticket if that's what you can afford. Yeah. I really encourage everyone to see it there for now, but yes, hopefully we'll also be able to see it other places. And I, I couldn't have asked for a better way to end this interview. What you just said, I think Titan this is why I do this podcast. I think Titanic just never fails us as a vehicle to show, you know, these timeless questions, these unfortunately <laughs> these problems that have been around for a really long time and to get at explaining them in new ways and hopefully invigorate people and, and helping them understand and you know in this case you know in terms of Asian American history help people understand enlighten people you know be part of that conversation and you guys have created something that does that and you've also created something that is a huge contribution to the Titanic historiography so I I just can't thank you enough it's incredible well thanks I mean I'm still waiting for Still waiting for certain people to see it and react to it, but you know, it's I'm I'm I I feel pretty good about our research. You know, uh, I mean, a hundred years wasn't that long ago, which sounds was a strange thing, but it, it wasn't really that long ago. And uh, I, I think it's it, it it's a great opportunity for us to look back and learn. And uh, Titanic really gives us a great sort of milepost to to use and and uh, you know to ground ourselves and then and then go forward from there.
Hi, guys. Just popping in at the end to say I am thrilled that I was able to bring this interview to you. I am ecstatic to be part of this conversation, and I hope you feel the same way as well. Thank you for listening. I am floored by the way that the listenership is growing every day, every week. It's incredible, beyond my highest expectations. And I've received so many messages, emails. It's amazing. Just the other night, I got a message from someone on Instagram who's a follower of the pod on Instagram and said that they'd just been sitting around thinking about all of these questions around third class on Titanic and what that experience was like and how harrowing and how heartbreaking and that they never thought about these things before. And I am so happy to be just engaged in a conversation with you all. Keep messages coming, even if they're concerns or things I got wrong, whatever it is, please let me know. I love hearing from you. Email is unsinkablepod at gmail.com. Instagram is unsinkablepod. Twitter is also UnsinkablePod. And starting after this episode, I will be going back to the bi-monthly. This just happened to be a special one I could get in a little quicker than a typical regular episode. And I will start publishing on Mondays. So the next full regular episode will be like two weeks and two days from now. But it's an exciting one. It's going to take a look at Titanic in fiction, uh, some Titanic novels, and what kinds have been written over the years, uh, how they, how some of them have aged, and what some of the new ones are. And we'll even delve into the YA genre a little bit with the help of someone who is an expert on a lot of this. So I have another great interview coming. I'm really excited about that. It's going to be it's going to be a juicy episode. I think it's going to be a good one. So I will see you then and also probably for another Titanic on film here fairly soon. Thanks again, guys. Bye.